Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. We long to see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. And it would help us out a lot if you would leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts just helps with their algorithm, and it would be really good. It's pretty easy. Just go. Leave a star rating. Five stars. It's awesome. Bree Mills, Alan Hirsch, and Craig Westoff have been previous guests on the show. You could go back and listen to those episodes and more. But today's guest is Mandy Smith. Mandy is pastor of St. Lucia United Church in Brisbane, Australia. She is the author of The Vulnerable Pastor, How Human Limitations Empower Our Ministry and the book Unfettered, Imagining a Childlike Faith Beyond the Baggage of Western Culture. We have a really good conversation on childlike faith, rest, Western cultural baggage, and proper use of power. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. Here's Mandy. Mandy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd love to hear your journey uh, into a more childlike faith. Um, and what did that look like for you personally? Mm. Well, of course, as children, it comes to us naturally. But when you grow up, you're taught to take on responsibility. And I don't remember anybody really saying to me, but also keep these other things. As you're taking yeah. on the good things of growing up, keep some things. And so um, as an artist... Um, and as a kind of emotional person, uh, I've, I've kept, that part of me has been kept alive, but it's usually been in my spare time or mm. n- not as a part of my faith publicly or my work. And um, so because I'm an artist, sometimes I get away with some of those things that people yeah. are like, oh, she's just she's just an artist, you know. But um, I don't think it's just for artists, you know, and uh, and so it's only been in the last five years or so that I've really had permission to to go there in in my whole life mm. and even in my ministry. It's a strange thing to think about leading a church as a child, and that huh. doesn't mean being childish, but yeah. um, the context I'm currently in um, is basically a church plant in an existing congregation. And so there's no real set... Like I make my own job in a way, which is wonderful in a way, but also really scary. Yeah. And so it means every morning waking up and saying, "Oh Lord, where am I? 
where are you leading me today? You know, I I don't know any. When I first moved here, I knew nobody in the neighborhood. I had no connections to this denomination. It was truly, it felt like starting from scratch and wow. um, a very, very small church that I was working from. And and so really the things I've written in Unfettered have um, have been really my my ministry philosophy as well to to get up every day and say lord you started this day lord you you're the one who's ultimately leading this church how do i how do i join with you mm-hmm. um but it really began when i was on sabbatical and i tell this story in unfettered um about 5 years ago i was on a sabbatical and you know 8 weeks to myself and i just thought like what am i supposed to do with myself <laughs> my kids are still at school my husband's still at work and um i felt like the lord say you get to be like a child and in the beginning, that was like, you know, splashing in puddles and taking naps and and just eating what I felt like eating. But um, but it actually took on some significance when, you know, one day I felt called to, to just lie in the grass. And if there was any moment in my sabbatical that was like a mountaintop moment, it came from that moment of lying in the grass. Hmm. But there was so much pushback in me of like, what if I'm disappointed and God doesn't show up? What if it's just dumb? What if people see me and I look foolish? And I just started realizing there's a lot of junk in us, a lot of yep. Western baggage that's to do with um, impressing people or being in control. And um, so I had to really, I had to work on some really serious false self kind of stuff. And so by the time I got back to work after the eight weeks of doing that, I thought it was just a little experiment for eight weeks, but something had awoken in me and I could no longer tell the difference between my childlike kind of prompts and the work of the spirit in me. Mm. And so um, it really, it, I started to see, wow, this is serious stuff. Wow. So as we're trying to enter into something like this and actually be a little bit like Jesus and and only doing what the Father in heaven is doing, that he could only do do that and be dependent on him, to walk in that way to say, and Jesus saying, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to be like a child. Mm-hmm. What is holding us back in our culture from entering into that space? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is where I started to collide with some things that were in me from from my education and from the media and all kinds of cultural stuff. But sadly, I saw a lot of that had even come into our faith in Western in the Western church. And the things that I really noticed were two main things. This kind of, I think, therefore I am instinct that Descartes named that's so foundational to Western ways of doing things Mm. that really values thinking over everything else. And, of course, our minds are a beautiful part of who we are, but they're not everything. Um, But it's a place where we feel like we can control things, and so it's comfortable to us to talk about concepts and ideas. Um, But sadly, it leads to a very dry faith. It leads to a a faith that is it's tends towards doubt yeah. that we imagine if we can't understand God with our whole minds, which he specifically promises he is a mystery. <laughs> when we come to the end of our mental capacities there, then we um, we say, oh, okay, well, I mustn't believe in God. Instead of saying, well, how is God engaging my senses and my emotions and mm. my instincts and through relationships and through nature? And what if God is bombarding us constantly with messages from him, but we're only tuning in in one very narrow way? Hmm. Um, and so, you know, children, as children, we knew how do we engage as whole selves? Because yeah. there's actually, there's been a lot written about how this does a lot of damage to us to compartmentalize the human experience and hmm. to kind of make a hierarchy that 
that thinking is the highest form of being a human and all the other, you know, there's something shameful about instincts or there's something shameful about emotions. We Have you ever noticed how often people say sorry when they cry? Almost every time. It breaks my heart. I do it too. I've tried not to say sorry when I cry, but it's just this instinct because Mm. it feels like we've failed that our Mm. emotions came out, you know. So what if, what if, I actually wrote a theology of tears for that reason. What if something really important is happening when we cry? Hmm. So um, so there's that one part of this I think therefore I am thing and scripture talks about God engaging human beings through so many hmm. what parts of ourselves. So something heals in us when we engage as we used to engage as children with whole selves. And then secondly, um, this this underlying cultural habit of I do, therefore I am, which is just yep. this knee-jerk response that when there's a problem, we fix it. When there's a question, we answer it. And, um, you know, there's this whole um, uh, industrial revolution that we grow from, you know, that's mm. all about productivity. It's just in our bones. Yep. And um, and it's so funny because even when I mention these two habits to people, and I do this too, people, I've heard people say, oh, we need to think about that so we can fix it. And I'm like, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the, the kind of problem we're stuck in, that even when we realize the problem, we want to think about it and fix it. And, um, you know, as, as children, we remembered how to wake up to the day that was already humming along in a world yeah. that we didn't create and um, take part in a church that was not of our making and a family that was going on before us and would happen after us and um, you know, we got frustrated as children, of course, that we didn't have power, but we weren't surprised when we weren't running the world mm-hmm. that we could bring whatever agency we did have, whatever gifts and passions and joys we did have, we could bring them, but no, know, knowing that was a part of what was happening in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is part of what Jesus is meaning when he says you can't enter the kingdom unless you become like a child as well, because you can't really engage with a God if you're always feeling like you are God and it's yeah. up to you. Wow. So, um, but it's hopeful for me to realize, okay, this isn't about working really hard to fix ourselves and and become these two things again, but acknowledging that we were this once before and we can remember it again. And actually I've found as I've tried to navigate that it's, it's, it's been hugely healing for me. So much baggage from our culture and from Western Christianity has been healed in me as I've as I've stepped towards things like this. So mm. it's good stuff. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And I'd love to to get back to it, but I want to go back around a little bit to your your comment about tears and the theology of tears and what mm. wh- what are tears saying about us and how are they communicating uh, something about God himself? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, um in my experience, tears usually come when there's just an emotion that's bigger than my body, <laughs> you know, bigger than my words, bigger than yeah. my mind. And sometimes that's joy. Sometimes it's pure delight. I cry yeah. at movies all the time. <laughs> and sometimes it's just like a glimpse of something so beautiful. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's uh, empathizing with the characters. But um but so many times the really big things in life, whether it's emotions or experiences and circumstances or just longing and joy mm. and connect feeling feeling God connection to God, 
it's just more than words can say, more than our minds can ever explain. And oftentimes the tears come first and then the understanding might eventually come Mm. after the tears. You know, it's a it's a scary place to go. And um, it's like the Psalms sometimes begin with crying out to God, where are you? Are you listening to me? Yeah. And um, and in the kind of going into the mess, uh, the psalmist often emerges in a new place, in a place of thanksgiving and praise. And hmm. I think crying is a bit that way. <laughs> and uh, and I think it's a it's a we need to have a reverence for it when when someone mm. goes there with us or when we go there to say, wow, something sacred is breaking through here. We can't understand it. Will we will we be scared of it and try to just fix them or fix ourselves so we don't go to this place? Mm. But um I've had to share with my husband because he worries so much about me because I'm such a you know teary emotional person. I've had to say to him, <laughs> crying is not a sign that something is wrong necessarily. Crying is a sign that something is getting better. Because wow. something's been wrong and now yeah. now it's now it's being released. And mm. uh um, yeah, so I don't like to cry. Like I love, I'm actually a bit of a control freak. This is all very uncomfortable <laughs> for me, but this is, this is truth. This is reality. Yeah. And it seems, I mean, Hey, I have a five-year-old son and, uh, children like to cry, um, mm-hmm. and like to cry a lot. Um, oftentimes, you know, when they don't get their way, they're trying to f- navigate yeah. their emotional life, um, within the world. And they often, uh, like use their whole body to express mm. who they are. Um, mm-hmm. You know, often when I am, when I'm upset, I either stuff it down and don't talk about it and say, you know, and then eventually a couple years later, it'll come out and I'll explode. Or I am able to articulate what it is that I'm feeling and I'm saying it to somebody and we're trying to have an intellectual conversation about mm-hmm. what it is. What is it about a full body experience that can actually help us in our journey with God and our relationship Mm. with him? Yeah. Well, I think kids are actually really good at naming things way before the things that we actually acknowledge as adults. Like um, a, a child who's nervous will sometimes just say, I have, I have like, a rock in my stomach like they're very mm-hmm. um visceral they they can experience or they'll or they'll say like um they'll just explain bodily experience in a way that they're just really present to it so we might feel the rock in our stomach and then take some time to think about it and say oh i'm anxious because i have a meeting today but they just know how to be present in the body experience and sometimes you can deal with the feeling the emotional feeling like there's there's something yeah to pay attention to there, to, to be aware of where things are happening in us. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I think, I think it's kids. We, uh, we just were available to the things that were happening in us, to the, the joy of, of the things we saw, you know, if there was a caterpillar, you just had to stop and that, and your parent could not drag you (laughs) to school because there was a caterpillar for goodness sakes, you know, um, (laughs) And that, like, I remember being, I was actually on a plane last week and there was a, like a four-year-old boy in the aisle beside me. And um, every time there was a particular noise, you know, there's always noises on planes of pings and 
I think it was when the seatbelt sign went off and it went ding, ding, ding or something like that. And every time he hummed it perfectly, like he heard it. Yeah. And all the all the grown-ups in the plane um, were just, it's just background noise to us. So he's picking this note and singing it every time. Um, so there's just an availability to things that we've already learned how to filter. Oh, that's just the seatbelt sign. I'm not paying attention to that because I'm reading my book or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, it's a good thing. You have to filter things. You can't be taking in everything all the time. But but there are ways that God is speaking to us through mm. yeah, through sounds and through smells and through sights and through sensations on our skin and all the different ways that our bodies are working. And um, I don't want to miss one part mm. of that. It can be overwhelming, but sometimes so, it's good. Yeah. So how do we enter into some practices to help us notice these small things and that yeah. and these different ways that God is speaking? Mm -hmm. Well, I speak in the book about rest, and I don't just mean that in the usual sense of taking off a whole sabbatical or having a Sabbath whole day every week, although those are um, incredibly transformative things. The work of resting is deeply countercultural, radical work. Yeah. And um, if if I could say one thing that has transform my life it's been the work of resting i understand why god got upset when the people didn't take sabbath um because you're resting from being god really from running yeah, around for a day and that changes you that stays with you even yeah. when you come back to work but um but rest i speak about in a, in a way that's just stepping away from running the world which can be for five seconds you know um so when there's when there is something that's that's kind of wanting to interrupt our life when there's a sunset yeah. on the way home from work and you just want to get home and you, you don't have the time to stop and pause mm. and, and watch the sunset. Yesterday, a bird landed right on my windowsill and looked right at me. I usually feed it. So I think it was a bit annoyed with me because there was no food out <laughs> and it was just staring right at me. And I could see these tiny little feathers right beside its beak that were like little whiskers sticking out because <laughs> it was so close to me. And I was on a pretty important phone call and um and i still had to just stop and look at it you know i could take the i could take the attention to listen and still take notice of these little tiny beak feathers i'd never seen before hmm. so you know what if these things are happening in us and around us all the time and we're so focused do we really trust that that you can let yourself be interrupted even just in those moments in addition to the bigger moments of rest hmm. to receive this what, what I think it does, and this is why I think Jesus talks about consider the lilies and consider the birds, is that can sound like this Hallmark card sentimental, oh, isn't that nice, Thomas Kincaid painting or something, you yeah. know? But what Jesus, I think, is doing is saying there is a kingdom at work all around us which is powerful and which is flourishing. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, all the things we try to do are crumbling around our ears. And um, so for me to watch the birds is to say that hawk who is just riding the winds is not concerned about this meeting that is giving me a stone in my stomach this mm -hmm. morning yeah um and it's doing just fine like it's not adding the anxiety and the scarcity thinking it might be hungry and it's looking for a mouse in the grass right now but it's not it's not saying you know it's not it's not catastrophizing the way we yeah. do when we're when we're looking for something it's it's trusting the wind will hold it up it's trusting there will be a mouse and mm. it's just pursuing what what leads to life and somehow even though it lives without a home and without a job and without a bank account it it's having children it's flourishing you know mm. it's 
Yeah. It's living in fullness as it's supposed to live. And um, that speaks to me of the power of the kingdom that's going on all around us and that we're mm. invited to live in as well. Yeah. You know, oftentimes when I think of, you know, a lot of times when I think of practices or I think of things, I think of it through my my own individualistic Western lens that it's me doing this and me alone. Mm. But oftentimes, you know, Jesus modeled it in community as well of what it looks like. I know that a lot of children, I mean, they get together with other kids. If there are kids that come over to my house and my son doesn't know them, they'll immediately start to play together mm, and mm -hmm. they'll engage in play when there isn't even a relationship beforehand. Um, right. I love so that. oftentimes how as community, how do we enter into being childlike and having a childlike faith communally um, mm. and not just through our individualistic lens? Absolutely. I think um, a lot of the ways that we experience how the church receives us comes from how we receive one another. You know, if if yep. we've been shamed by the church or rejected by the church, it's actually by human beings who are mm -hmm. speaking on behalf of God, whether correctly or incorrectly. And so I think the more that we overcome this baggage in ourselves, the less we give shame to each other, um, the less we reject one another for... Um, for being open to God in these ways. And um, I do think too, you know, a big part of this rest that I'm talking about is um, receiving things that you didn't create, stopping from mm -hmm. our own productivity and control of the world in order to, you know, when I'm talking about stopping to receive a bird on my windowsill, I didn't invite that bird. Yeah. You know, that bird <laughs> just came and the Lord made that bird. I didn't make it. And I think community is another space where, we're invited into, um, you know, we can't control community as much as we might be able to buy the home that we choose. Hopefully we can. Not everybody's able to even do that. But um, you can't then control who your neighbours are. Even if you could do a survey before you moved in, they could move away or, they, you know. Yeah. Um, we can't sh we can't control the, the people God puts us among hmm. in our church or in our neighbourhood and or in our workplace. And um, so a part of that childlikeness too is is receiving the community God has placed us in and trusting that. Um, I was just listening the other day to James Finley, who was um, a wonderful spiritual guide and um, who is, <laughs> I think he's still alive. And he said, uh, there is no shortage of spiritual directors in our life because we have other human beings we have to live with and they mm. they they grind us like wheat i think he uses the word <laughs> which is not necessarily a positive thing but he says you know they 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 bring joys into our life they they require things of us we may not choose to give mm. and um and so even this is a practice that we may not even um be aware of and a, a practice that we may not have chosen but to but to be shaped to mm. trust that god is shaping us through the people he has placed in our lives including the difficult people yeah um you know there is to to receive that as a spiritual practice um is is a part of this as well i think yeah i love uh in your book uh, when you contrast a little bit between child likeness and childishness mm -hmm. um, and even adult likeness and then adultishness um, yeah. and 
you know, using Jesus as an example for us and the power that he wields, uh, being childlike and adult-like and, and not usurping his power or abusing power on either side of the spectrum. Can you speak yeah. a little bit about that and to that about the abuse of power and if we don't get this right, that we could abuse power on both sides? Yes, yes, because underuse is also an abuse of power as well as overuse of power. And that's something that I've really found helpful, especially in a time where we're talking so much about um, celebrity pastors and abuse of power within the church, which I think is a really important thing to talk about. But it's easy to go to the other extreme and um, to avoid our agency. And I always want to add this warning or caution when we're having that conversation because um, then there's a lot of talk about make sure that you don't grasp for power, make sure that you're not one of these kinds of leaders who is, you know, going to fall because of all of these abuses. And I think those are really important warnings and cautions. At the same time, sometimes they're speaking more to people who wrestle with ego stuff and who like to be the centre of attention yeah. and have power. And I've actually found a lot of that was coming out in the media when I was first being called to step into a lead pastor position um, some time ago. Um, And it actually spoke to my deep temptation to not say yes to the call. Hmm. And, you know, we see this in the prophets throughout scripture that many of them are saying, oh, no, I'm just a child. Don't call me. And um, who am I to say anything? And God's like, oh, you're looking at the wrong place. I'm not asking who you are. I'm asking, I'm telling you who I am. I'm calling (laughs) you. And um, so it actually tempted me into what I was being tempted to do, which is to avoid my agency and the voice that God had given me. And it's very Hmm. easy to call it humility when you're saying no because you're afraid of the failure or the, the, you know, it's a huge risk to step into leadership. And especially for me, I was... I had never seen a female lead pastor before, and so I was my mm. own role model. It was terrifying. <laughs> and as a performance, you know, with as a perfectionist to have to step into the limelight when you know people are watching, can a woman do this? But you're wondering it yourself, <laughs> you know, and to have to practice in public is is excruciating. So I had lots of reasons to say, oh yes, we, you know, it's not good to step to pursue leadership. But does but God does call leaders. Yep. So um And we saw that Jesus had amazing authority. He astounded people with his authority. And that authority came from his submission to the Father. It was not because he was better and smarter and all the other things that we think give us authority. Hmm. So to come back around to the adultish, childish thing, it began with me for me with having to set aside adultishness, which I define as being afraid of powerlessness in order to step into childlikeness. So, um, to, to lie down in the grass and just just be and experience God in that simple way, I had to get over this adultish instinct of like, no, I like to be in control. I don't like to look foolish. Thank you very much. So um, to step into that childish childlikeness, I had to set aside the fear of control, fear of losing control. Um, but there were some ways that God was prompting me in that place that after months of of exploring that and choosing to override my adultishness to step into childlikeness, um, there were invitations into things that were actually pretty scary. Um, when I went back to work, back to the ministry after this sabbatical, 
uh, the first week I heard the passage from James that says, if you have anyone among you who is sick, call the elders and pray. And as I heard the passage, there was a, a person in my congregation whose face came to my mind and I felt a prompt to invite the congregation to pray for her to be healed. Mm. And this is someone who was, was so hard to imagine could ever be healed. Yeah. And we're not a congregation that prays for healing. <laughs> and uh, I just was like, no, nope, not going there. Because <laughs> what if I look foolish? What if God looks foolish? What if people are disappointed? What if she is disappointed? What if she doesn't want to be prayed for? You know, and um, and so from the childlikeness of setting aside our own power, we are invited into places that are really kind of scary and confusing sometimes. And so... Then there's a need for adult likeness of embracing of the agency and authority that we do have. Mm. It's limited, yep. and so uh, then we have to have a, a, a lack of fear in our power, what power we do have, mm. and set aside the childishness, which is um, which is a fear of having any power. It sounds like mm. humility to say, "Oh no, I have nothing to offer," but it's a kind of childishness to avoid yeah. having having some sense of of agency that we do bring limited though it may be. Hmm. So a lot of it actually comes from, from fear. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that God told us more than anything else in the Bible is do not be afraid. Um, mm. And so it seems like a core issue for us, right? The, this oh, yeah. fear as we want and want to step in uh, to, to something to be courageous. Don't be afraid. You know, God's going to be with you uh, in everything. I had to, I did yesterday. I was taking my son to swim lessons. He didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. And we had to talk about fear and being courageous and stepping into things that make us uncomfortable and have to tell him, I, I'm afraid sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, and I, everybody actually has this fear. Mm-hmm. What are some, some ways where we could actually receive from the father so that we could step in and say yes in fearful situations. Mm, man, I think a big part of this, you know, I said that I didn't know anymore if this was my childlike instincts or the prompts of the spirit in me. And I love the fact that the spirit kind of feels like ch- some of the good things of childlikeness. Yeah. Um, and so I had to rethink my whole theology of the spirit, I come from a tradition that doesn't like to talk about the spirit in a kind of an overreaction to mm. Pentecostalism. Yeah. And um, we talk about God the Father and God the Son, but the spirit really, you know, and I started realizing how much the spirit is mentioned in scripture and how much um, the scripture that I've been taught to have a high regard for actually talks a lot about the spirit that I haven't taught to have a high regard for. <laughs> and um, And so for me, this is actually what feels like good news about um, this gospel that I think I always had been taught, you know, or there was this Jesus who was God who walked around on the on the earth 2000 years ago. And one day you'll get to be with him in heaven in some future state, Mm. but, and those are true, but they don't feel very present. And um, what feels really hopeful is the possibility that that same spirit that inhabited that one human body now has been given in our human bodies and not that jesus walks with us alone um but that jesus is in us like (laughs) that is very hard to wrap our heads around 
to think that this ordinary little life, this ordinary body, these gifts, this voice are all places that Jesus wants to embody as much as that spirit of God was in his physical body in Palestine and in the, in the Middle East 2000 years ago. Mm. And, um, and so if that's, if that's the case, and there are moments when I'm just really feeling deeply afraid or deep pain um, that I say to the Lord, how is it possible that right now my body is only fear, my body is only pain, hmm. and yet you say your spirit is here? Hmm. And and in those moments I have come to see how it's almost like God is, God's spirit is like a sponge in us. It doesn't take away the deep experience of fear or pain, but the sponge holds it with us yeah. in in us and carries it with us and says, I, I'm not afraid. Like, I feel it with you. It's real. It's valid. It's legitimate. I've been there and I overcame the grave hmm. and we can do this, you know? So I'm afraid most of the time, honestly, I think I'm anxious most of the time. <laughs> um, and I don't know the difference anymore between this feeling of excitement in my stomach and this feeling of anxiety. Like it's just, especially navigating ministry at this moment in the church's story. It's just like, we're throwing the rule book out. Everything we'll yep. end in seminary doesn't apply anymore. And everything yeah. <laughs> is, we're all pioneers now, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not a pioneer by heart. I'm a settler. <laughs> like I like <laughs> things stable. Yeah, That's just not the way things are in our world or in the church right now. And so, um, I kind of wish there was a word for anxious, excited, because I'm kind of excited about what is being birthed in this moment. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of anxious about um, what it costs mm. and the always being on the edge of your seat, always flying by the seat of your pants stuff, you know. Mm. Um, it is. I have heard a lot about high performance performers, you know, especially you know, uh, popular artists or uh, athletes, that anxious feeling that they get, they tell themselves it's excitement. Mm -hmm. um, and the high performers change it into excitement instead of yeah, anxiousness. Interesting. It feels um, very similar. And it feels, excitement and it feels really similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how can you pay attention to um, other people in the midst of mm. uh, a time where you're actually looking mm -hmm. inwards how can you lift your eyes up mm -hmm. to see mm -hmm. that there are others around you that could actually walk with you in this situation yeah i do think that anxiety you know i don't know if they do this anymore but um back when i was having babies they would ask you to bring something into the room to help you know to deal with the pain something to look mm -hmm. forward to to focus on to because when we're in pain and anxiety it's easy to like even physically we shut we curl up and we close our eyes and we go inside of ourselves and i i do think that drawing looking outward is a way to just it like literally physically helps us in pain and anxiety but i think metaphorically or spiritually i should say it's not metaphor it's it's real it's just harder to see um with spiritual things that um yeah having people around us draws us outside of ourselves and actually, um, Steve Cuss has an amazing book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, I think mm. that's how it's called, yeah. Um, and he talks about family systems that the anxiety is often built into systems that we're a part oh. of. And um, so that's a great resource to check out. He has a whole website that has all kinds of resources on it. Um, so, uh, 
I'm just uh, distracted because there is a turkey that's walking in my backyard. Right <laughs> we have these wild turkeys and uh, this one that's trying to peck in my compost bin. And uh, since I'm since I was talking about being interrupted by birds, I have to say it because otherwise I can't focus again. Okay, now I can focus. I talked about letting ourselves be interrupted. So back that's to your good. question. Um, yeah, it's so funny. Um, yeah. Back to your question about anxiety and community. I just had this image in my head of of the Lord's Supper, you know, of taking communion together <laughs> that um, does this work. I'm from a tradition where we have it every Sunday, and I love it because it does this work of reminding us that the spirit that's in our individual bodies is also in the body of the church. You know, yeah. Christ's body is the church. And that uh, at communion we we are drawn to the table together and can look across the table at one another and maybe we don't really understand each other or agree with one another or even like each other. But I think something really transformative happens when we can say all these this motley crew of community that God has gathered together, I might not have chosen some of these folks, you know, but somehow the spirit of of God is is inhabiting each of us Mm -hmm. and all of us communally. And what does it take for me to live in that unity? It's not a unity that we have to work for because we've already been given it. Like Mm. God doesn't say work really hard until you're united in my spirit. He says, you are one in my spirit. You all have the same spirit. The question is whether you'll live as if it's true. Mm. And um, so something happens when we embrace that possibility that, um, that, that, even if we don't feel that unity in the spirit, that how would we act differently? How would we treat each other differently? How would we respond to our own anxieties if we if we knew that we were a part of this thing that is bigger than ourselves? Mm. Um, ordinary and broken though it may be, that this is where the spirit of God is working. Mm. I don't know. It it does raise our heads and open our eyes and give us a new imagination. Mm. I. So sticking with the the community, if we're entering into a childlike faith, does it change the way that we do a church service, a gathering, um, that it's not mere intellection that we're we're Mm. sharing, um, that we're actually engaging other parts of who we are? Ideally, I I think sometimes when people hear me speak, um, they assume that my my church services are all finger painting or something like that. You know, (laughs) Um, I, I want to also be respectful of the traditions that we find ourselves in and the, the history that we're a part of. Like I think a part of the childlikeness is not only play and being open to our bodies, although it's definitely that Um, it's also being humbled by this reality that we find ourselves in a particular story Mm-hmm. and that our faith is something we didn't create that has been shaped by people throughout the centuries. And so there's something really rich about about being a small part in this big story that has particular music that it's written in, and mm. readings and prayers and the richness of our history is a part of childlikeness, I think, yeah. too, to realize. Like, I think sometimes we want to reinvent the wheel and think we've started it ourselves and have no acknowledgement of where we come from. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I mean, if it were up to me, I think I'd be worshiping on the beach, you know, (laughs) I'd be, I'd be dancing on the beach probably if it was about, um, 
uh, worshiping child in a childlike way, but that's not always possible, you know? Yeah. So I have had times for the sake, I think for the sake of being in community, I'm willing to compromise some of the ways that I personally engage in yeah. a childlike way in order to engage in it in the childlike way of being, being lost mm. in the community. But at the same time, there are, there are, there have been kind of side gatherings that I've, that I've had because I know not everybody would be comfortable um, of, of just listening. Like for me, it's been listening to prompts where it, you know, in, in the book Unfettered, I, um, I share about the story of being called to dance. And at first my thought was like, oh, yes, I should explore the metaphor of dance in scripture. <laughs> and um, I was at a wedding and I felt the Lord say, it's not only a metaphor, you know, <laughs> like everybody else at my table just got up to, to go to the dance floor. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm the one who officiated this wedding. Is that appropriate for me to go as well, you know? And um, so then uh, there were times when um, when – I did like during COVID, it was actually interesting because I realized like we're not allowed to gather for worship right now, but nobody said we can't go out into a field and dance 10 feet apart, you know, mm. or whatever the official measurement <laughs> yeah. was. Um, and so, you know, not everybody took part in that in the community, but I just said like, I've got this music ready. I'm going to turn up at this place um, at this on this day. And if anybody wants to come and and dance mm. with me, and I felt really stupid doing it, but it was really fun. Another day I during COVID, I was like, well, parades would probably be okay. I want to have a parade. <laughs> and, and so um, in the middle of COVID, I had this little penny whistle like you see, you know, in um, like Celtic music, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, I felt this childlike prompt in me one afternoon in the middle of COVID. Everyone's tucked away in their little houses. And, um, and I'm not an extrovert. I'm not an exhibitionist, but I was just so sick of being stuck in the house. I think I'm like, I'm going to make a one person parade. And I, I, I marched <laughs> down my street playing my penny whistle, which I'm not very good at. Like it was very squeaky, mediocre music. Um, I put on this dopey hat and marched all the way down the street and back up again. And I was like, I'm kind of glad that nobody seems to be taking any notice, but I just needed to do this right now. And then a neighbor of mine said, what on earth were you doing? And they were like, I wish we joined in. And I was like, why didn't you join in? So the next week I was like, okay, you, this time you can join in. So there was two of them. One of them had balls. The other th There was one juggling and one with a drum. And um, we collected a few neighbors on the way. And we, I mean, it was just ridiculous, you know, <laughs> Um, that we were like, well, this is COVID safe. We're we're distanced apart. We're outdoors right now, and it's ridiculous. But um, I'm kind of embarrassed to even tell the story. But at the same time, it was just so fun, you know. To and I think that was kind of worship too. It was a childlike mm. thing. It was on a Sunday afternoon. It wasn't at church, but um, yeah, I there's ways that. to invite people into those little things that give us joy. And what if? Uh, instead of perpetuating an institution, people actually see something that gives us joy. That's that's really mm. winsome, you yeah. know. That, I think that's the kind of thing that draws people to the kingdom and to the Lord is mm. that somebody says, "Wow, that actually is meaningful and transformative to somebody." Uh, I want to know more about that. Hmm. Are there ways that you found that to let children lead? Oh, I just love kids. I. 
I just think there is a wisdom in them. I, I remember when my kids were really little and it wasn't that my kids are remarkable. Of course, I think my children are remarkable, <laughs> but, but like they were the ones that I happened to know the best. And I just came to a point where I said to my husband, I think we need to stop being astounded by the things they're capable of because they just keep being capable of, of carrying burdens that we wouldn't expect them to carry mm. and comprehending things and, and saying things and understanding things that are way beyond what we would ever expect, especially spiritual things. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think if if um, if we if we uh, really believe what Jesus says that we can't enter the kingdom unless we become like children, then that means that children are kind of our role models. Yeah, and um, I actually. There's this crazy reality in Australia, which I know sounds very strange to Americans, where state schools, government-run schools, have religious instruction half an hour every week. Hmm. And um, whoever is just local volunteers from local faith communities get to come and teach. It's crazy. Hmm. So I do this every week. And um, I was in a grade, it was year one, first graders, and uh we were telling the story of the resurrection it was Easter time. And I overheard this little conversation um, between these two little boys. And the teacher said, um, yeah, and Jesus died. And, um, and then this, this one little kid was like, oh no. And the one beside him said, but that's okay. He came back to life. And the first kid said, um, but how did he do that? And the second kid said, "Yeah, I know, but he's God." Like, and then, and then the and then the final kid did this like dab thing, you know, like uh, it was just so real. And it was just, like he basically just told the whole gospel. It was the best sermon I've wow. ever heard. So, um, yeah, it's a great question, and I think it's one we should keep asking. Of like, what are the questions? What are the they just kids are just so available to reality yeah. they're so honest they're courageous i mean they're frustrating sometimes but but uh i yeah i i think you know in my previous church we would have the the children's sermon before the sermon sermon and it really stretched me as a preacher to to make sure that i could if i can't if i can't say in 5 minutes to the children what i'm about to say in 20 minutes to the grown-ups i'd better like step down from this yeah. post <laughs> um but oftentimes the grown-ups also would be like oh man it was the things that the children were saying to you because i would have a little yeah. conversation with the kids you know um oftentimes it was those conversations that really made the passage come alive so hmm. yeah you know i'd love to have that posture to be able to help let the kids lead and learn from children uh, to figure out how do we actually become more like children to enter into mm. the kingdom of god uh, I have a couple questions here at the end. One, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Oh, my goodness, 21. Man. Oh, trust that the small things that you sense in the Lord and that you have in yourself are actually powerful and that um, you don't have to be ashamed because the kingdom is like yeast. The kingdom is like a small seed like these mm. these things are actually powerful and um that huge 
Roman Empire, which was so measurable in its armies and in its fortresses, no longer exists, but the kingdom of heaven is continuing on to this day and it's alive in you. Mm, that's beautiful. That's true and that's beautiful. I love that. Uh, mm. Anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Well, Lord of the Rings, of course. I don't know if you've yes. seen it, but I am such such a Lord of the Rings fan and um, read the books in college and have read the movie, have watched the movies over and over again. And Galadriel is my favorite. Mm. And she is the main character of this new series or one of the main characters. Um, it is so just a beautiful, beautiful looking show. It's oh, my so, goodness. So good. Yeah. So I'm watching that at the moment and I just feel seen in those stories because it's small beings uh, determined to pursue goodness hmm. in the face of such immense darkness. And um, so that just feels very real to life. Um, I'm reading a couple of things at the moment. Andrew Root is really resonating with me at the moment, and I've got about three of his books <laughs> open. Um <laughs> But also, actually, I'm listening to an audio book of, um, how do you pronounce it there, Augustine or Augustine? I think it's Augustine in the U.S., yeah. isn't it? Yeah. In the U.S., yeah. In the U.S., yeah. Our crazy accent. No, that's okay. I try to adapt. <laughs> but I lose track of where people say what. So um, Augustine's Confessions, which is one of those books that I feel like I should have read and I've never read before. Um, and and he's, the language is, you know, obviously a bit, difficult sometimes but but his sentiment is so relatable he's so and you know he's so real and and surprisingly um human <laughs> for a book that's over you know i think 1700 years old you know yeah so, good yeah. one that's great yeah where can people uh, connect with you find your work yeah i have a website called the way is the way.org <laughs> And um, there they can find a blog and um, links to my books and other ways to engage some videos and other things to a bit of artwork as well, which I do not claim to be an artist, but people have asked me to see things I describe in my writing. So <laughs> it's there in, in case people want to see it. Nice. Well, Mandy, it was a fantastic conversation. I loved uh, actually just walking through what does it look like to have a more childlike faith? Uh, how do we enter into a, a place of rest so that we could receive from the Father um, mm. and not uh, be God ourselves, but actually let God mm. be God and us be the humans that he has created so that we can actually walk in step with him um, and mm -hmm. that we can actually go and notice the small things and the little things and see that they actually have power in the kingdom of God. So thank Amen. you so much for the conversation. It was really a yeah, privilege been, to talk to you. It's been so good to be with you. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, 
Uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.